You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. So visiting us on the island today is Susan Morrow. Welcome to Max's Island, Susan. Thank you very much. It's delightful to be here. Susan, all our guests get the opportunity on the island to tell a story about when they did something either that was against the grain, something that people said you shouldn't do or couldn't do, or whether it was just something that you've always wanted to do and you made the decision to do. So, Susan, tell us today, what's your story? <laughs> well, thank you, uh, uh, Tony. I think um, I, my story today is about something that we uh, thought we were doing a big, big, huge life jump, but life decided to jump uh, the other way. <laughs> and when was that? Um, well, I probably started many, many years ago. So, obviously, I'm from the United States. And I've been in Australia now, let's think about that, 23 years, give or take. And my, my spouse is Australian and he has always, always, always wanted to live in the United States. I had, for a variety of reasons, put it off and then life had put it off, but probably, let's think about it, five, six years ago, we decided, nope, it's time. We have two kids who were born here in Australia, and I was really keen for them to understand the other half of their DNA, if you will. Um, I didn't want them just to be Australians with an American mother. So we decided that we were gonna take the big leap um, and move over to the US for a while because all my family's over there and I really wanted my kids and my parents and my brother and his wife and all, you know, all the family have a chance just to be in each other's mundane life. And where in the States would that be? Um, I was born and raised in New Mexico, which is a state that is on the southern border of the United States. It's in between Texas and Arizona and shares a border with Mexico. It is a funny little, it, it's not a little state at all. It's, it's a quite a large state, but with not a very large population. So Western Australia felt very uh, normal to me. And it's a funny state because it's one of those ones that a lot of the people in the United States don't realize it's a state. 
So I've been places in the United States and had people comment on how great my English is. And then I have to explain that, no, I'm from New Mexico, which has been a state in the Union since 1912. And, um, but that's fine. But so my mom and dad are not from New Mexico. They're originally from Nebraska. And that's in the middle of the country. And they moved before I was born away from everyone in Nebraska. And so they had always been a little bit of the black sheep, I guess, in a way, because they had moved so far away from their family. But I'm beginning, I, I, I reflect on our family story because, so they'd moved far away. My mother's grandmother had moved from Denmark and she was 17 with all of her brothers and never saw her parents again and spent the rest of her life in Nebraska. So we talk about that. We kind of accidentally have this reoccurring theme of making big leaps and moving far, far away. And so I didn't think about it when I was 20, whatever, but that's exactly what I did was I took a big leap and moved far, far away. And I also think of recurring, um, not regret, but sadness in the family is the sense that we haven't been you know, I only saw my grandparents a few times a year and we didn't have that being part of the mundane, you know, being, you know, coming to concerts and coming to sporting events and, you know, hanging out at grandma's house. So I really wanted to give my kids a better chance to do that. And Greg was just keen. He was excited to go try the American dream and it took forever <laughs> to get his visa through even though we'd been married for years and we were on the, uh, using air quotes, fast track, it still took us a good three years to get um, his visa through. And I'm not sure if we're allowed to talk politics on the island, but it certainly didn't help um, with the last administration shutting down, you know, shutting down the government a few times and changing their, you know, who was allowed in and how fast they were allowed in. So we had a lot of delays unexpectedly. Uh, thanks to the last administration. Susan, that was going to be a question of mine, whether it was something around the last administration. So it just goes to show that even people with strong American heritage and connections still found it difficult to get back into the country. Well, and the thing was, the, the, my sons and I, we are all dual citizens, so we could have gone at any moment, but we didn't want to leave Greg. So I always joke that when we travel, we look like the born identity because we have seven passports between us. And, um, but yeah, but nowhere near as exciting, obviously, as Matt Damon. So it took a long time, and I laugh. I laugh now, but at the time, we were trying to be so very methodical and logical. And even though it was going to be a big, grand adventure, to be very smart with the way that we did it. And um, I look back now. Let's see. So he got, Greg got his visa through... November 2019 and even though it took us three years to get the visa through we had less than six months then to get to the U.S. That was part of the conditions was it? Yep, yep. Wow. we had to had to enter the country before May 6th so we intent we looked at the calendar very carefully and we thought the last thing we wanted to do is arrive moments before the visa expires so we were going to we planned that we would arrive in April. And so we just sort of backed it up from there. And we were going to make sure that we had several weeks in New South Wales. And so we had decided that basically Good 
Friday, I think it was, we would be our D-Day or the day after Good Friday would be our D-Day um, that we would leave Perth, um, move to New, go to New South Wales and then hit the US then late in the month. And it was all trucking ahead. I thought I was being so logical, but you know, we've lived in our house for, well, now it's almost 17 years. So we had a whole house full of stuff, but we, because we weren't moving with a company, we were just moving. We were gonna radically trim everything down and just the bare minimum. So it was like the ultimate Mari Kondo experience. Were you keeping your house? We were gonna keep the house and we were gonna rent it out. And so that involved getting the house ready and, you know, all the things that you're happy to live with in your house. Uh, <laughs> so I realize other people might not be. But anyway, so we were moving ahead and it was exciting. And always, and what it felt like, if you can, as we got closer and closer to the date, um, I've never been in a hot air balloon, but I've, I've watched a few. But that sense of we were a hot air balloon going up into the air and we were just slowly but surely cutting the guide ropes. You know, all the things that anchored us to this place, we were cutting the guide ropes. So imagine, if you will, please, now then let's look, let's fast forward to March. On the 12th of March was my last day at my job. I had given myself uh, four weeks to finish packing down the house before we left. <laughs> so I had resigned. Um, we were T minus 28 days from leaving, basically. And what I remember is we had farewell drinks with friends and colleagues at a, at a pub up in Jindalup. And it was the night of this Wildcats um, basketball game. Maybe it was a final. I don't know. I don't actually follow basketball. But they, that night, that, that day, they decided not to have a crowd, not to let spectators in. And by the time I was we were getting ready to leave because we'd had kind of a late afternoon gather everybody and then Greg and the boys came and picked me up and we decided to stay for dinner and then we went home and by the time we were getting ready to leave the whole place was packed and heaving and it was one of the first times that I thought huh we're really close to a lot of people and if they if it wasn't a good thing to everyone to be at the stadium why is this oh this is weird this is weird okay and so then you know life is progressing that we're suddenly starting to get worried that maybe we need to quarantine before we see my parents because my parents are in their 70s like it was a moving feast so then we decided that what we would probably do is a land in los angeles and travel via a um you know, we get an rv and do the essential move across California, go see the Grand Canyon. And by the time we hit New Mexico, we would have, you know, well and truly have had our 12, our, you know, two weeks quarantine. And we're there. So we're proceeding. It's all exciting. It's all happening. There's boxes everywhere. There's, you know, I had a crash course in selling stuff on Gumtree and Marketplace. And, you know, if you stood still, I handed you stuff. And said, here, you need that in your house, don't you? And um, I don't remember exactly what, I think it was the 20th or the 21st. And the whole garage was outfitted for our, like our last sweep garage sale. And then whatever was left, I was going to either give to certain people that things were earmarked for or you know, donate the last little bits to you know, charity. 
and, and you know, to different groups. And what was the deal? Lewis, my, my older son had a, a fever and things were starting to get really tense just everywhere. And we just suddenly thought, no, we can't have the, can't have the garage sale. We're just going to have to hold on. And then it all just sort of happened when all of a sudden we realized that, you know, they were starting to give direction from Greg's work because he hadn't resigned yet about travel. And so then we had to go to like three levels of bosses in his big company to see, are we going to be in trouble if we try to move, try to get going? Because we'd gotten to the point that it became clear that we were going to have trouble getting there. And I think our last, I, I joke that we were like on planet X by then, that we were just going to send Greg over to Honolulu and turn him around in 48 hours, land, activate the visa, come back to Australia, and then we hold. Because once you activate the visa, we had you could you had a year before you had to do anything else. Like it was okay then to come back. And we thought, well, we'll do that. And then we'll hold for a couple of weeks until it's safe to go and then go. And we'd gotten all the approvals from all the bosses. And then one of them called Greg right before the borders were going to shut saying they had heard they'd gotten wind that this was about to happen. And we just suddenly had to stop and go, what are we doing? We're about to send you the only person who has a job out of the country to a place to the US where clearly they were not managing it at all. It was just erupting. He wasn't gonna have health insurance because of the, the travel things that were, you know, the bans that were coming into place. And the last thing you wanna do is be in the United States without health insurance in the middle of a pandemic in a state that we don't know anybody. What if you get trapped? Cause we didn't even know what was gonna happen and we get separated. I, I joke, it's like in those movies where the, the heroine or the, you know, the hero's rushing towards the cliff face and they, to the edge of the cliff and they slam on the brakes and they turn the car and they just like barely almost stay, but almost go off the edge. But that's what it felt like. I mean, we were down to the day we decided that we'd sold the, la we'd sold the last couch, the TV was gone, the kids' beds were gone. I had four plastic plates, four knives, four forks, four spoons, four bowls. Like we were to that point. You know, the only thing I hadn't sold was um, the kitchen table because that was going to be the next week's job. And we weren't going to sell our bed because it was old. So we were just sleeping on it until, and I had made my arrangements with the council to do mattress pickup for it. Like we were to that point and just stopped and went, oh my God, wait. What was your family in America thinking at this time? Were they giving you any feedback or any um, reassurances or were they equally as concerned and uncertain? Everyone was scared. We were all scared. And see, the thing was, I'd had this weird situation that my parents, you know, I think that I know lots of people, obviously, who are expats and you get a lot of pressure from the parents to come home and all those other things. But my parents all along had been saying they thought this was a bad idea. <laughs> Is that right? That they thought it wasn't safe for us to move back to the U.S. And at the time, I was I told them not to be ridiculous <laughs> and that we weren't going to live our lives in fear that we, you know, we wanted to have this experience. So when it became clear that it was not going to work, 
at the time, you know, mom and dad were very, I mean, everyone was so disappointed, but we all, but we didn't realize how long it was going to last. We thought it was going to be a month or two while things calmed down and then we'd be able to leave. I think we forget and, that now, don't we? We look back over the last 15 months and realize that, you know, things have evolved and there is a normality that now exists. But certainly this time last year, we were thinking that, okay, once the the first wave has gone through, things will start to settle down and things will get under control and we'll come back to some sort of normality. It was in March when American Airlines started cancelling flights. That And that was probably one of the main, I, I, I should have mentioned that in the beginning part of the story, but that was one of the reasons, one of the times we thought, oh dear, oh dear. And we were in this weird place that they were just canceling them like day or two at the time, but they put a freeze on everything. So we couldn't transfer our tickets because that's when we were trying to figure out if we could get Greg to Honolulu. So we were trapped with an airline that wasn't going. They hadn't gotten to the point where they had canceled our flight, but we knew it was probably coming. We contacted the U.S. consulate, ended up having to pull some strings, which is hilarious because I didn't think I even had strings, um, but had a, we have a friend here whose brother-in-law is involved at the U.S. consulate in Perth. And we just needed someone to give us an answer. And we were like, hi, you know, dear U.S., we think we're going to have trouble coming into the country. Is there a way for us to extend the visa? What should we do? What do you reckon? And I, we got this email. I should have printed it out because it was so obnoxious. Like, we don't have any contingency plans for people who are unwilling or unable to travel, was their answer to us in March. Wow. And then, what, a week and a half later, basically, the, that part of the government shut down. Because, like, that was the other thing that was happening. Like, the whole U.S. was just crippled. And we you couldn't get answers. You couldn't get, you know, there was nobody at work. Nothing was happening. So, I remember... Greg and I sat down and we're like, well, we'll just have to wait. And I said, Greg, I can't just have this, oh, we'll wait. Like we need to have a, a point at which we will start talking about it again. And we both said, right. We agreed that as soon as they open the international borders, that's when we'll get ready to make our next step. Because basically the full advice from the U.S. government was we won't extend your visa, but they're like, we kind of understand these are strange circumstances. But nothing's changing. <laughs> um, we, we encourage you to reapply as soon as your visa expires, but you will have to do another health check. And getting a health check was a $1,200 experience here. Let me just tell you that much for free. And so like, and you'll have to go back to Sydney to get re-interviewed. So we said, right, when international borders open again, then we'll kind of reactivate the process, not realizing it would be over a year until we'd be able to even get out of Western Australia, not realizing that in the meantime, the U.S. would literally turn into a dumpster fire. But it wasn't just the um, pandemic. It was all this other stuff that happened, the race, you know, with George Floyd and the race riots. And I mean, we had riots in Albuquerque and you know, stuff just got bad. And it was like, I mean, I, I've never been, I've always known my country's got a few peculiarities, but it was just like this darkness was just revealed that I hadn't anticipated. And then people that I've always thought were 
they may not have the same politics as me, but I've always, you know, been important to me. Suddenly we all kind of hit lines where, oh, I'm sorry. I think we've actually just crossed a line there. You know, and so I had this year of like losing friendships because, you know, by the time the capital riots happened, capital riot happened, I was just like, oh, of course, what else? What else? Yeah. Okay. What else could be fun? I was scared to say what else, because I just didn't know what else there could be, but God knows there were going to be something else. So, um, yeah. And now I find myself, um, you know, the U.S. is coming back slowly online, sort of. But, you know, I've got family members who have made decisions not to have vaccines for reasons I don't agree with. And I don't know, it was, it wasn't just the pandemic. It was just all this other stuff. And for the first time we found ourselves going, huh, do we actually want our kids to be there? Because everyone's like, oh, you'll get there, you'll get there. And I'm like, will we? <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, my brother's kids didn't enter, were out of school. Schools were shut to them for a year. And in that time, my kids have pretty much been in school the whole time, except for those couple weeks. We've lived in this incredible bubble. And I mean, I have always loved Perth and I've always loved Australians. And I'm proud to be an Australian now, I'm proud to be a dual citizen. And I'd always been very aware of the, the differences between Americans and Australians. But, and I, and I know there's some turkeys in Australia as well. I'm not saying that, but the Australian belief that you take care of the community and you take care of your mates and it's just really, I don't know, it's helped, it's helped. It's helped to go, this isn't the life I planned, but this is not a bad, this is a great place to be. But it, and I don't know, it's been a year of sadness and a year of real change in the brain. And every once in a while, things will still happen that'll just set me off. It, you know, like my last one was my birthday, which I hadn't expected to be sad on my birthday, but it was that realization that this was going to be the you know, the first year that we'd all be together and, you know, my mom would have baked a cake and it would have been fun. And, it, you know, all those, all those moments that, you know, all those dreams that we had, I think I've, I think I've finally worked through all the dreams that aren't going to happen, but, you know, it was, um, there's a poem that got stuck in my head, you know, uh, what happens to a dream deferred when, with the raisin in the sun. It was a dry up like a raisin in the sun. It doesn't explode. I found myself pondering that a lot. What happens to a dream deferred? Because I did everything in my power to make this happen. And it just didn't. Life just said, no. <laughs> I let you continue on with, and deliberately didn't interrupt because there was a, a path that you were going and there was a, a great sense of feeling that was coming out of as you were going through what happened. Just as we wind up, I'd like to ask you two questions. The first one that I'm sure all the listeners on Max's Island would want to know is how did you cope back in your house with no furniture? And then, <laughs> and then secondly, once you've uh, told us what's happened in the past 12 months with regard to that and whether you've continued to live in that minimalistic way, the other <laughs> thing is what are your thoughts about going back and revisiting this at any time in the near future? Well, the first thing that happened with the furniture, people were so kind to us. I mean, I've always known we've had good friends here, 
God, I felt loved. I had people, I had somebody show up on, because Greg's visa expired on the 6th of May, for example, and they showed up on the day the visa expired with food. You know, I had a friend who showed up on the day that we realized we weren't going to be able to go and we weren't supposed to be seeing people. And she just, she brought, she, she bakes the most amazing rolls. Uh, <laughs> Cause there's only like carbohydrates when you're depressed. Um, and she just brought her beautiful dinner rolls and a pot of um, homemade passion fruit curd. And we just stood in the driveway and cried because she knew that's what I needed. Yeah. Um, so first of all, people were very kind. So I had a friend whose husband basically showed up at a couch. <laughs> and said, Here's a couch, you know, and um, I'm not going to lie. Greg did not wait long until he bought a television like that. Was- well, I, I, I am aware that your husband has some significant sporting interests. So I, I would have thought <laughs> that the TV was um, high on the list. <laughs> and we, you know, we were borrowing people's camping chairs. And it was funny, I left the garage sale in the garage for weeks. I would just go out there as I needed something. <laughs> so actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I have boxes in there that we've, I said to Greg, later I will deal with. But clearly, we don't need all that stuff. So I feel in a lot of ways, we did still have such a trim down. And to this, I mean, this week, they were looking for something. Where's the, what was it? Um, you know, one of those mat felt mats that you make you do your puzzles on and you can roll it up if you haven't finished the puzzle. Where's the puzzle mat? We sold it. And that we sold it. Yes, we sold it. You know, <laughs> everything is, I think mom sold it. I sold it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're probably not as minimalistic as you think, but we'll just have to we have one chair still in the front room. <laughs> so you have to sit at the kitchen table or that or that chair and that's it. So we're still a little bit minimalistic, but it's okay. But, you know, we bought a new couch recently. So that was good. And that was probably the other thing. There were things that I'd been holding on to for a long time that I wouldn't let myself get because I thought, well, buy it in the U.S. Just wait, just wait, just wait. And I said, you know what? I am done waiting. And I'm not trying to sound all materialistic, but there were things I really, really wanted. And I'd waited for years to do. And I thought, enough. So the first thing we did, by the way, was... We adopted a dog. Nice. Because that was the first thing we were going to do as soon as we were settled. Even before, you know, like as soon as we, uh, you know, we might have even tried to talk Pops and Grandma Jean, my parents, into letting us have it because we were going to move in with them until we got our ducks in a row. You know, I was going to, we were trying to convince them to get a dog. So the first thing we did was we adopted a dog and that, and Dusty, our dog, who was a rescue with a pretty significant abuse history from Kalgoorlie. She was our first thing that we did that we thought we're not waiting for life anymore. And um, she's been a pretty important part of my mental health. I'm not going to lie to you over the year. So I guess that kind of answers your minimalistic question, but it also kind of introduces how life has changed a bit because there's things now where we go, you know what, if that's really important, we're doing it now. Yeah. Why wait? Yeah. You might do all the right things and make all the right plans and it still doesn't work exactly to plan. And by God, if a new bench top mixer, for example, something I've wanted for a very long time, is going to make me happy, by God, I'm going to buy it. And I've had so much fun with that mixer. So that was one question. And then you're like, then your next question was, will we revisit it? I don't know. Um, At this point, I want to just see my parents again because we had been putting off a visit 
for years saying, oh, we're almost ready to move. We're almost ready to move. So by the time it all went to hell in a handbasket, it had almost been three years since we'd seen them. So we're barreling towards four years since we've seen anyone in my family. And I think there is a very good chance that we're not going to see them, for example, until my son, now Lewis is going to be 14, I think, by the time we see them again. So that makes me so sad because the whole point of us going was to not miss moments of the childhood. And not only have we missed it, we've missed it in a way far greater than I even anticipated. But, you know, we're, we're not going to be dumb. The fear of anything happening to them and me not being able to get there has been almost overwhelming at times. So we'll just wait until it's safe. The one thing I will say is, though, I've probably spent more time with my parents in the last year than I have in a long time because I made them have morning tea with me every single day because, <laughs> you know, they were stuck in their house and I didn't have a job. And <laughs> yeah. that was nice. Susan, so. thanks so much for sharing that story with us. We often have heard of people being stranded and not being able to get home. This is the bit of the flip side where the whole pandemic prevented you from starting a new adventure and for you going home, but also taking your family to a place that uh, where you, you, know, you grew up and, and where you have so many fond memories. So thanks for sharing with us. The emotion was really obvious. And I hope that as an experience, you really have gained from it and developed some, some really clear thoughts around it but most importantly, that you and your family are much closer because of it. So thanks for joining us on Max's Island. Thank you very much, Tony. Sorry to bring a downer to the island, but thanks for letting me share my story. <laughs> we spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, oh work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan, a short-term escape Five weeks on the Bibbulmun track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished or fell by the way
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and 